0: Please welcome Big Twist from the Views Before the Six, who will be the moderators of this very special acoustic conversation that we have today at the McMichael. And then I would like to welcome the star of this conversation, Michi Mi, that doesn't really need an introduction, and you will find everything about her from this event. So thank you, and Michi. Thank you for introducing me in my funky shoes. Hi, Gallery.
1: <laughs> okay, I'd like to, um, to welcome everybody to the Acoustic Conversation here at the McMichael Gallery. Um, it is part of the Everything Remains Raw program that is put on the McMichael as part of the Contact Photography Festival. So uh, make sure you go and check that out after we're done here. Uh, like Anna said, my name is Big Tweez. I host a podcast called Views Before the Six. It is about the history of Toronto hip-hop because it seems a lot of people seem to think that hip-hop didn't happen here until Drake popped up, but how wrong they are. The city has a great, rich history in terms of just not music music alone, but hip-hop very specifically. Um, I'm gonna start by telling a little story about the first time I met Mishy. It's actually quite funny. I was about 15 years old, and I grew up in Rexdale, which is not too far from here, and uh, Mishy was dating a young rapper by the name of Jellystone, and uh, they (laughs) (laughs) they they were in a video 99 that my friend happened to work in, so he called me to be like, yo, the new Madden is out, you should come and get it. I'm like, cool. So I go to the Video 99 and I walk in and there's Jelly and Mishy. Now, I knew Jelly from the neighborhood, but I had never met Mishy before. Um, growing up, I had a huge crush on Mishy. So I walk in and there's Jelly and Mishy. And I'm like... I started stuttering. I don't know if you remember this or not. I was like, uh, 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 Michi, 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 me. I the that's thing. you. The and Jelly is like, oh, yo, you never met Mishi before? I'm like, no, no, no. Like that. He so shrug. we had a, we had a little conversation, whatnot. And then you guys left. And I remember my boy being like, oh yo, So yeah, the new Madden. I'm like, I don't care about the new Madden. Has Mishi been in here before? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and you've never told me this. I'm like, yo, if she ever walks in here again, you phone me. I'll be here in five minutes. And I think the next time I did see you, I came with a bag of records and yep. you signed them for me, man. See how great that, right? Yeah, so.
0: That so, sounds like me, though. Okay, so. Yeah. Okay.
1: Views before the six, the podcast. The first question we ask everyone is, were you born in Toronto?
0: I was born in Jamaica, Kingston, okay. Jamaica, uh, St. Andrew, and I came here when I was six years old.
1: Six years old. And what area did you live in when you moved to Toronto?
0: Uh, Keel and Lawrence, right at uh, 1577 Lawrence Avenue West. And uh, Keele and Lawrence. So I would always hang out at the arts arts and craft things happening at the Amesbury and the Rose and Rink at Amesbury. And I went to George Anderson Public School where the teacher told me I was very bright and the rest is history.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, how did you get into music? Man, um, coming from a family of music, mainly uh, <laughs> my dad. It was just um, Jamaica. The entire, when you're, when you're in the Caribbean and anywhere, you're just influenced by your parents' music. So disco was on its way out. And mom had just bought boogie-oogie-oogie-oogie dancing shoes. And that was, we went from boogie-oogie dancing shoes to um, Rapper's Delight. And bringing that Rapper's Delight to Toronto, um, I just liked the fact that they were talking about things that were happening in the community. And, they, and I could hear that the, they had an accent. And they were from America, but they were relating, they were speaking about topics that related to Canada. And I didn't know how, if the audience would out there that was listening to the same record was getting the same thing for me that I was getting, and I was in grade four. So I think that was the real reason I wanted to write my own stories to it, because I was a readaholic, and I was always in a storybook club, and I played a lot of chess. So I had a lot of awesome. guidance from my, um, my teacher at Brookhaven, after I went to Brookhaven, yes. and Mr. Hill... And I won a big B award for um, being able to read so good. So my teacher always influenced me and told me that I would be able to do something with words. And I didn't know what I was going to do with words. And by the time I got to grade eight, uh, Miss Burgess at CR Martian uh, in the Jane and Weston area, Um, told me that, you know what, miss, you speak a lot. You're very feisty. Um, (laughs) There's something that... And then there was hip-hop. And I felt like they described everything that I wanted to do musically. And I just approached the same approach as I heard in Rapper's Delight. And the rest is history. And traveling to New York, too. I had a lot of family in New York. So seeing what was happening in the streets of New York, whether it was graffiti on the walls, whether it was the dancing, whether it was just traveling um, on the train, because we would just, as Torontonians, just want to get from the Bronx to Manhattan. And just taking that train ride, there was so much culture in the environment. And then bringing it back to Canada, I would um, be on the bus and I would sell jingles, I would buy cassette tapes and, uh, and try to sell them at school. I was always trying to raise money for Girl Guides. Awesome,
1: <laughs> and awesome. And being the
0: Pink Panther, <laughs> be a Pink, because I was on my way to be a Pink Panther. So I was very structured. My mom was a, is an RN nurse, retired now at Sunnybrook in the Western. So, you know, when Dumb. she's doing the 12-hour shifts, I'm hanging out. <laughs> right,
1: so, right, yeah. right, right, so, right, 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 right,
0: right. So all that together on that timeline, it was a very easy recipe for a lot of guidance from the school. People that were at school musically from traveling and just having that alone time. Um, At home and getting in trouble and being in my room, so I would write a lot and read a lot. Because the Jamaican thing was go to your room. Go to your room. Do your homework. You had to do. You had to make things up.
1: Okay, so I'm going to preface this question by saying that, like, if you don't know, Toronto's hip hop scene in the early days was a lot of sound crews. It was, you know, your Sunshine Sound Crews, your Chic Dynasties, your Kilowatts, and basically what these sound crews would do would have these huge sound clashes at the concert hall which many of you know is the masonic temple so my question to you is how did you end up meeting up with sunshine sound crew
0: sunshine sound crew i used to follow my cousin charmaine bernard was uh, there was two models there was tanya and there was Uh, Charmaine, and they were both Benetton girls. So Benetton was a very popular Yeah, yeah. yeah, And the black girl was my cousin Charmaine Bernard. So I just thought she was famous. I would see her on the Benetton, so I would collect the Benetton bags and follow her to um, Sunshine because a lot of the, uh, the skating and roller skating was, like I said, the Amesbury days, and that would be the first grassroots, and that led into the uh, the Tooney Tuesdays, the Tuesdays down at the Cineplex. And those were the meeting areas where we'd see the Benetton ads and go down there to celebrate them and end up speaking about hip hop. And Sunshine was the main sound system that would go around to all the schools. So they would play at Weston, Westview, Madonna, and they were, we would follow the music. So that was a way to go to a party at a Catholic school. This was our way to party at a public school. This was a way to go, this was a reason to go down. Downtown was to follow the sound. So Sunshine, in uh, doing track and field, I was very popular in track and field. Right. Um, so at the track meet at York University, we would always gather at the long jump pit, gather at wherever there was a break, and just speak about music. So in doing that, because I did track and field, I had a little body, and they said, "Okay, she got a little body. She's a little cute, light-skinned girl. Let's just put her in our group." And in that, I met um, I met K Force.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, and
0: we formed our very first rap group. What was um, myself, a Jamaican immigrant, and two two guys from Nova Scotia, and we were the Canadian rap group. Um, so. And that would have
1: been K Force and. K
0: Force and Alex, Alex from Region Park. Oh, okay. Word. K Force from Oakwood, and myself from Martheton Way. Um, and yeah, we just and the, I used to go to Jarvis Street Baptist Church. There used to be um, a bus driver that, that Mr. Fry would come up and pick us all up and carry us downtown. So when we um, we learned how to go to you know go to the, the Bible study and so forth, and I used to remember memorize all the entire Bible, and I used to win the prize there. So they're like, okay, put that together with school and all this talking of music. Everybody kept telling me I was gonna do something musically. So those were the grass the grassroots denominations that would let me know that I could do something speaking wiser.
1: How old are you at this
0: time? I was, that be- was between 11 and 14. Um, I, Carly Nation, I used to take her son to school at, um, I was 11. So I was always the one, um, cause it's the little Jamaican thing. We just always were just so overconfident. And, uh, and when I came at Martha Eaton Away, I just thought that I, I owned the buildings. And it was so funny the way the buildings were messed up. like 10 Martha Eaton Away was a condo. <laughs> 15 and 25 wasn't a condo. And then there was this fence. But I was like, my, my friends are on the other side of this condo. And here was my mom, the iron that got, you know, got into the condo. And my other, my other friends were, were not as, you know, their, their parents didn't have a job like my mom. They wasn't a nurse. So there was this little border even in our own community. So me now... Would uh, Carly Nation lived on the other building, so I would take her son to school, and I would gather the kids around and try to do a track meet and do relay, because the Olympics was around when I came from Jamaica in 1976, and I, I fell in love with the Olympics, so I would always try to gather the kids to get together to run around the building and pass slippers. <laughs> edit yeah (laughs) it was a funny thing but everybody at Marthine away. so that was how I got popular so I think the popularity the being able to communicate with people the the traveling downtowns because going downtown to church was totally like going downtown and coming back to the area and always being able to travel um to the Bronx so bringing all of that back to the community I was very resourceful just in my neighborhood so that kind of made me popular and then the the hip-hop became popular
1: Okay, so how old were you, like, the first time you went to a concert hall?
0: I lied. I snuck out. <laughs> <laughs> my your, mom, your mom's was, not here, was, is she? Yeah, she's no, right no, okay, here. Okay. she might be listening okay. now. All right, all right, Um, all right. So uh, Scarborough wasn't to us built yet. So going to Scarborough was like going on tour. <laughs> so Scarborough was just building up. So we were like, what, Lamaru? So there was this rose skating rink out there, and Sunshine was playing. So I told my mom I was doing neon colors was in. So, you know, for Christmas, you got... Cowboy boots were into, so I got cowboy boots. I got a neon belt and a neon shirt. So I put them all on and said I was going to go to my auntie's house and show off all the nice neon color stuff. But I was sneaking on the subway yeah, to uh, the roller skating a ring to Sunshine, justifying it to, to go and find my Benetton model cousin. And she was at the party. So Charmaine was a real Sunshine follower. And there were some pretty dominant women. Um, JC's girlfriend at that time, Sharon, and uh, Michelle, Tony, ended up having a baby with Tony Duncan. So Tony Duncan would have been probably one of my first managers, Tony D, yeah, 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 Tony yeah. D in terms of um, getting us out there. But I just told everyone I was as old as my cousin and I wasn't and just kind of hung out. So I would say at about between 11 and 12, you didn't know, we didn't know we were so young and that I wasn't really 13.
1: Okay. Like, let's just talk about the significance of the concert hall, because I've heard you say that if the concert hall was a woman, it would be the matriarch of the scene, so like for those of you who don't know everything basically happened at the concert hall which is now once again the Masonic temple and I mean that goes from the dance halls to the concerts to everything so everything like was big. Let's talk just quick like what how what significant was it to you and Ron Nelson as well
0: yeah, it was it was definitely significant because that was the first time that, besides where I became popular, not just only at church, not just only at track and field not just only at my school and around my area, when you get up to Concert Hall, because people would call into CKLN, uh, the power move, David Kingston would be down at CKLN, and they would call and be like, who's this girl Missy Me? She's gonna, board. you know, nobody from Canada ever beat anyone from New York. So we did, but at that time, I'd be traveling to New York, and the party just happened to be in my backyard now, and I had all this experience in New York, So I didn't know that I was supposed to be inferior to an American MC because the genre was new. So no one told me that the Canadian wasn't supposed to be hyped up and beat this American girl. So at the time when it happened now, I already was in her backyard. I battled this young lady, Sugar Love, who came with Cupmaster DC. Yes, yes. And there were different categories. Female MC battle, the male uh, Boogie Down Productions was very new on the soon. Scott LaRock. DJ battle. May He Rest in Peace and KRS-One from Boogie Down Production. Rumble and Strong was battling battling him. So there was so much things, but we didn't, and I was already with Boogie Down Productions, so we were kind of cheating because I had my my New York hookups, and that's how they came here. So I was already affiliated with the crews, but I was in Canada, representing Canada, battling a young lady from Brooklyn. So in doing that, it was, um, yeah, Canada, Toronto knew me, but Concert Hall and CKLN really put the fire in, in, in my flame and just flipping... Everybody was just supporting me because here I was representing Canada, and we were supposed to win. So when I got up there, I said, she said, all this American, American, American stuff. I said, hey, girl, Canada, Canada. I said, hey, gal, I'm a Jamaican. And they didn't expect me to say the Jamaican part, and the whole concert hall went nuts. There's this clip, if you YouTube it, where um, they say, how many of y'all think this over here should win? And concert hall went, yeah! So that was really what made me know that I could um, really affect an audience. I had no idea that a a room would support you, always, you know, the little front row, your friends behind you. I would say a rhyme and run back to my friends, was it good? Was it good? Was it good? So right when they asked the audience, who do you think should win? And I was actually winning as the Canadian girl. So that was why concert hall to me was so important. To say that hey, I can control a room or a crowd. That was my first big experience.
1: That's crazy, man. Because a lot of people don't even know about those T.O. versus N.Y. battles and stuff like that, right? Like and that we won the one category. Exactly, right? It's so that it, it's it's funny to me because like everybody thinks once again like hip hop didn't happen here to Drake. But not only that, we were like, we were up to par with New York MCs yeah. and, and whatnot and DJs and the, and the like. And it's right? so bad
0: when we have to say, not even so bad, but you'll hear it a lot, our comparison is to Drake. And, and there's a reason for that because a lot of, we didn't get to exploit our scene to the magnitude that we could before. Right. Americans weren't invested in Canadians the way that they were doing then.
1: I mean, we didn't even get urban radio here until the 2000s, right? Yeah. Like
0: mm-hmm. so Big it, time. it's cr- It's late. crazy,
1: right? So um, another question I'd love to ask you is about, you know, the matriarchy as people talk about it in Toronto. Everybody always says maestro, maestro, maestro is the godfather. But really and truly, I believe you would be the godmother, right? Like, you were out before... Yeah, yeah, give her a
0: round of applause for that because Um. she is the face yeah. of Toronto hip hop right there's always been that awkward moment in the room where it's like you speak about everybody and um yeah it was it was like because yes it's <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's still like yeah they weren't they weren't they weren't out before me i was actually the first one and the who influenced me prior to that was the k forces and the butch and, um, yes. and Lady P was a part of the Kilowatt Sound, so it wasn't necessarily she was a female rapper. She was part of a Kilowatt Sound, so I knew that um, a female voice could be used in the atmosphere of hip hop. Um, but rapping wise, yeah, there was Butch Lee, who would take a mic anywhere. There was K Force, who was following the Sunshine Sound, and I learned from them that you can take a mic and speak, <clears throat> and 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 then I got into the rhyming part of it. So yeah there was nobody influencing me before and I would always be in New York and come back um, when I understand they were building the infrastructure and Much Music was getting ready to just launch the whole scene and there was a cipher I would drive back to, to Toronto and they were on Much Music there was a cipher thing you can see I'm very New York down I lived the dance hall lifestyle but I would write hip hop and I would come back and do it and then there was um, Electric Circus for the very first show yes, yes. yeah for the very first show they, um, they said hey are you going to be in town and I drove back uh, to do, um, the electric circus. So I was always invited to the big moments here. In Canada, and that's what kind of definitely made me is a, a staple here. Um, but yeah, there was people. The structure was building, so there was people like Beat Factory. There was people like Groove-Lot Records. There was people that were actually yes. learning the business part of it um, because a, it lot of d-
1: a lot of a lot of DIY, right? Like there was a yeah. lot of that here because the labels weren't really paying attention to what was happening here. So as she mentioned, Beat Factory was an independent label. Groove lot was an independent label. Um, Talk about Beat Factory. Let's just talk about that studio for a hot second, man. Like Maximum 60, who was part of Chic Dynasty and um, like no, Ivan was, Berry. Yeah, he was more
0: Beat Factory, and, right. um, and and they were from Pickering, um, and you know Pickering was even past Scarborough that wasn't built yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we didn't really, you know, when we met, uh, the Bamboo Nightclub downtown would have showcased and there's a lot of R&B. So the R&B scene okay. was, was you know, grooming into them um, and there was network clubs and all these clubs that, you know, we weren't allowed in um, and we'd sneak and go down there anyways. Uh, that were they were having you know R&B shows and so forth so K Force brought me and I met um, okay. Ivan Berry and he was just very smart very brilliant and he would just put us together and made a company he had Beat Factory prior and Richard Rodwell and Len and all of those and all those people they were with them so it was like the pickering okay. crew met downtown and downtown as they said I would take those trips downtown to um, from church and Cineplex and that would be where you would see all the major players from every area And then we said, okay, well, no one's listening to us. Why don't we all come together and kind of just put on some shows, um, grow Crossworld, and get this infrastructure and get the labels to see. And Ron Nelson, you've got radio. And then came Ron and Ivan, and they just you know, work together in yeah, terms of... Yeah, because they had the studio together, yeah, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Ron Nelson had, had an house at Apache Trail, and he just that one side was, was Ron's studio, and one, the other side was Beat Factory. And then we planted there, but originally they had it in Pickering, so that was just a central part because Scarborough was just building, so right, that house right, built, right. and Crazy. the studio came closer to the West End, and that was our that's where we, you know, created a lot of hits.
1: Rumor has it you brought Dream Warriors there for the first time, what Yeah, no, I, right? I
0: introduced Dream Warriors' uh, Louis to Ivan Berry. And, yeah, there's no finders for you yet.
1: No. Right? <laughs> so, um,
0: very early in the game. And they went off and did amazing things and in turn brought us to Europe and we got to tour with them. So, it was like a whole bunch of people in Jane and Finch, like, hopping on a bus. Um, Donovan White, who's now the top st- men's stylist, uh, was, you know, drawing art, graffiti and ended up being a dancer. There was split personality Cougar, um, Black Hat. He went off to Miami and does great things in Miami and lives on Miami Beach. And does all his portraits and did videos. Like people went on to do it, but we were all just kids hopping on this bus going to Europe. And Sweden had like a hip hop club on every station. We're here. We are just trying to get one, and we're and it was just amazing. It was an amazing experience. And then we got that because Chris Blackwell, intern, ended up signing Dream So that was a beautiful experience. So it was like one thing led to another, and there we were. We were off.
1: How how did you end up um, like meeting up with BDP Boogie Down Productions?
0: New York, New York, uh, Latin quarters. Uh, traveling with my sisters, Laverne and Cheryl, and we would just always take those trips to New York. And um, my my cousin was uh we were at two twenty third twenty third and Gun Hill in um, in. Gun in the Hill Bronx, Road, Gun yeah. Hill Road, Gun Hill Road, <laughs> in the Bronx, um, was just, they had this club called Stardust, and a lot of hip-hop happened in the Bronx, so when we would go back there, my cousins, um, they would just play instruments all the time, so they were familiar with everything happening there, so when I would visit there, it was just going the back and forth of it.
1: Right, what did, what, Scott, did, uh, Scott did Victory's Calling? Or? Yeah.
0: He, no, no, no. Scott Rock did Elements of Style.
1: Elements of Style. And Sorry. it was yeah, yeah. the
0: last record he produced before he died. And it, him and Russell Simmons were getting ready to do. I always say if Scott Rock was my um Puff Daddy, my um birdman, he if he was alive or stayed alive, or our lives would have been different, mine and Carissa's, right, because right, that's right. when the industry was gonna take another turn, right? And it ended up turning the other way exactly. It was a big shift in me and Carissa's one's life. When um he was when taken he passed, for us, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Scott Rock was in Maine. He was uh he had a degree at the university, and that was so cool to us at that time. And he would just come out and and just meet the kids and kind of care us. Um, One was living on the street, like we're all just you know. And I was from Canada, and he just put us together and had a shelter, and would pick the talent. Out And he was just, you know, guiding. And, and that's kind of how he passed, too. He was protecting someone that's and kind of right, went to, right. to speak about it. And someone shot off the top of a building. And um, he ended up kicking up the bullet and didn't make it. So, yeah, he's always been that, you know, the educated protector and was the producer. So, he produced. He would come here. And there was no studios in Toronto. So, we would have to go to Hamilton. And it was only rock engineers. So, no one knew how to do hip-hop. So, we'd have um, a very high uh, engineer in Hamilton who would just... Have his way, and then just let us do our things, and and that was it.
1: Cause yo, know, like, I mean, for as big as you were here, you were equally as big in New York. Cause I, I've personally heard had people tell me like, yo, that you'd hear Michi on the radio all the time red out alert. there, right?
0: Yeah, red alert, red alert, red alert. Yeah, broke yeah. In the, and there was no borders, cause he was just um, playing a lot of hip hop and reggae. At the time, too, Little Vicious was out, and he was a reggae artist. So, yeah, Red Alert really put us in the loop of the hip-hop. And he was making up for when Scott passed, because he was our main prop master. Violators, Chris Lighty, um, and, and may he rest in peace, was all... Right. They were performing in Mona Scott now, who went on to do the Love and Hip-Hop and all those great, great ratchet shows. Yeah. Um, we, were all, we were all kids then, and, and they were a management company at the time. And this kind of, you know, seeing where everybody was going to grow into. But, Yeah. That's, it was really a lot of stuff. I mean, did they treat you different because you were from Toronto? No, because when they did, I'd get Jamaican.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs>
0: when they tried to pull the, oh, you're from Canada, there's no hip-hop in Canada, there's no hoods in Canada, there's no black people in Canada, you only know hockey, you only know snow, you can't do anything. And I was like, yeah, but let me tell you this. And I went off into the Jamaican. They knew Jamaican, so once I went into the, Jamaica, the Jamaican, make Jamaican made me international, and uh, the Canadian made me different. And when I went to Europe, it was like you're American, and it was like Jamaican. So we just confused everyone over there. <laughs> like, where's this person from? I was like, I'm a Canadian Jamaican. You never heard of that before. So yeah, it was just an interesting um, journey in just in just identity um, in itself. I mean,
1: speaking about that, like Jamaican Canadian, and you know, doing the reggae stuff. You were really one of the first people doing reggae hip hop, right? Let's be honest.
0: To, to put it on a, to put it on a there was people doing it, but they weren't doing it on a front scale. So yes, to as for the female artist definitely, yes. um, there was no one because I didn't know what else to be. Um, I mean and, and, and who re-encouraged that confidence was Ivan Barry. he goes we're in the studio and we're doing on this mic and it's like Missy she just, just speak Jamaican and I remember Latifa and them used to always say let's get her mad when she gets bad she speaks Jamaican <laughs> so they wanted to capture it in the studio so that's why one of my first songs I used to say Send for the girl who wants to test because they have no beat <laughs> so I said it really fast in Jamaican and, and the aggressive tone which in turn fit right in with battle rap at the time and I started out as a battle rapper it was very easy. Easy to merge the two in terms of styles and topic right. and just be myself. So when you're so close to it you don't really know what you're doing and Shinehead was one of the main MCs that would do a lot of the toasting and High Tech was a reggae sound from Falstaff and High Tech used to play a lot of reggae jam so I would emulate Shinehead and do a dub plate. Um, and do he used to have this song called Mad Dem. So I used to do the high tech Dem, mad, 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 and tell people I could emulate Shinehead on a dub plate. And then when I started doing it at the dance hall and reggae community, everybody wanted me to do it a little bit more. So that's how it was very easy cool. to live dance hall, write hip hop, hang out and dance hall, go to New York, mix up the two and then come back here. Yeah, it's
1: I mean, yo, you mentioned like Canada, you me. mentioned Latifah and them. Like a lot of these women who are considered the greats of hip hop
0: are your peers, correct?
1: Yeah. Right? Like there's <laughs> yes. the infamous picture. There's the infamous picture. You, Latifah, Moni Love, Jazzy Joyce. Jazzy Joyce, MC that's right, Light. MC Light, you yeah. know what I mean?
0: We were at the new music seminar and um, yeah, it was Whiz, Heavy D's, dancers, and DJs came over and they took a picture of us and uh, yeah, and we were just really just trying to prove that hip hop was a genre. So we didn't really do the Canada u.s male hip-hop thing we were just like hey we all like this new form of music and here we are at the new music seminar um and then it would break down or oh, that person's talented and then you would know it because you didn't know the label until you knew the artist no one wanted to know about the label until you knew the artist once you knew about the artist and you would be like okay what label are they on and then that's how labels you know and production companies became more popular but it was really rooted from the actual artist
1: i mean listen man if you're from Toronto and you're of the scene, you really know that the women are the backbone of this scene. Let's, yo, you got to, you got to, let's be real, right? Let's
0: talk about the Michelle Geisters.
1: Yeah, so I want to ask exactly, I want to know who's very, influ- who was influential for you, you know what I mean? Because you are considered the iconic female of Toronto, right? Who took
0: care of me was the Michelle Geisters, the Denise Donlin to Sharon Dow. So there was so much people on new music, on much music. Uh, Denise Donlin just made sure I was taken care of anywhere that I went and I wanted to. Michelle Geister, I remember as a woman on tour, and um, I have a 27-year-old, I keep forgetting his age, um, and I was pregnant, <laughs> And I, was, and I didn't know how to tell an industry. And I had to, you know, I had to find a woman that I trusted to kind of share that with me. And I'm on tour in, in Europe and Dream Wars is going on. And, I'm, you know, there's a baby bump and it wasn't something to be celebrated. So Michelle Geister really um, took care of me. And then she helped me take care of the guys because <laughs> they didn't understand the hormonal stuff. And we're very good at making sure that mothering and, and letting them know that they, they were in a safe place out of Jane and Finch. Um, yeah. It was it was real life experiences um, that we were facing as women, but Michelle Geister and Denise Stalin and Sharon, like the new music and the much music crew, they took care of me.
1: You know what, Han? Just because as you're speaking of what, I'd love to ask you this. You know, like you say. Having the baby bump wasn't a desirable thing. What's your thoughts on like Cardi B now and like the fact that she's out there? She's like, why can't I be a woman who's I pregnant know. in the thing? Like when I, I, I that, when I
0: seen the Cardi B story and and so forth, um, those who know, just her having the baby and just defeating that out, that that at that part I liked. I really liked um, because you you can't you can't hide it. I mean, everyone's blessing is going to come at a different time. How do you obscure it? I know some people that you know fought for it so much and wish they had a child now, right? That's kind of the other end of that. Yeah, and then in Canada, if you were to give up all of that and the business wasn't growing, you'd have missed your whole timeline and all your eggs and all that good stuff yeah, because you're waiting right. on the industry to grow. So um, no regrets.
1: You know, I don't know if you've seen these photos behind you, but these are awesome. I'm just seeing these as we're having the conversation. It's tripping me out. I mean, yeah. speak, speaking of photos, there's a great photo of you in the, in the gallery, in the exhibit. Check out
0: the gallery.
1: So I want to <laughs> ask you, do you remember that you... This, okay, let's talk about the sidekick crew for a hot second because <laughs> right? everybody knows... Those jeeps,
0: those jeep sidekicks. Um, Let's talk about, do you remember that day taking that photo? No, we were just hanging around. I I remember um, somebody bought us a sewing machine. Somebody gave me a sewing machine um, because it's another gift. I used to like to sew and make stuff, and no one was stopping me from dressing up for the show. So the outfit in there... We sewed it the night before. We oh made, word! Okay, go. Oh, that's cool. We made the pants, um, and that was a time. If you look at the era, it was very much a TLC. You see the remnants of the TLC there in the left eye and the big hat and the boots. So at that time, 1993, we were really emulating what was hot then, and I was, you know, thought I was left eye too. So we made the outfit <laughs> based off of that, and there was karaoke at Wonderland. So we were. I was on my way to Wonderland to go do the karaoke in my new outfit, and I think I went down to check Patrick, and we're in the alley, and uh, Patrick Nichols is the photographer, and we just snapped the picture. That so. was in the
1: distillery district
0: yes yes (laughs) liberty village down there
1: yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. they've destroyed everything that's cool i don't don't know what
0: anything is anymore (laughs)
1: um you then transitioned i mean you did acting but let's talk about ragged death for a second man like that was a huge part of your career what made you want to do reggae and metal together
0: it was it was crazy uh walter invited me down to the studio. Down okay. at uh, Ontario Street, where we used to do a lot of uh, hip-hop. And he was the main, one of the main engineers to uh, engineer a lot of our materials. So he was like, you know what, there's this... Uh this new, this alternative was becoming a new genre, and there was like risk takers, and I was known as one of the risk takers. So it was very hard because when we went back to tell all the, my hip hop friends, "Hey, I'm going to do the, you know, the rap stuff," it was like, "Okay, you're you're going to be you're going to be a devil worshiper, Mish. Like, what are you doing? You want to do rock and roll? Like, how do you <laughs> tell everybody that you want to do rock and roll?" And here I am, this you know, this oh religious rapping girl. Um, yeah. So it was very hard because, and then after when it became cool, it was a very hard transition. But I didn't change anything that I did musically. I still still rapped and toasted in reggae. So right, the only thing right, that right, right, changed right. was the music. So it was a very easy transition for me. It was hard for the audience to accept, um, but it was very cool for the international audience to accept. That's yeah, crazy, so right? it That's was crazy. always had to jump over the emotions of the Canadians at home. Um, and, and reach out there, and it was just a whole new world. We were very big in Australia. Australia, we had most of a our, 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 lot of our feedback from. So it was very experimental here, but yeah, I didn't change anything. And it was the energy that I got even from Dancehall that attributed more to the rock and roll songs that we did because it was based off of ska. So it was ska, punk, coming together right, with right, the hip-hop right, right, right. and a lot of metal, and then we became Raggedeth. And we could perform, so I think that was one of the biggest assets as a group. Well, yeah, it was three albums later. (laughs) We were like, hey, Ragged Death did its thing.
1: And then there's the acting, of course, Drop the Beat. Yes. Yo, I loved that show. You know, Omari was my boy. We went to high school together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Amari, oh, man, everybody's got such a, a story to tell. Basically, right. what we all met, met on Drop the Beat is like meeting a whole other generation too. So, Drop the Beat was very groundbreaking in terms of bringing the entire hip hop scene back together. Because if you weren't a main character, you were a um, you were on there somehow. If you were involved in right. the rap scene. Um, dropped the beat strategically, made sure that all the rappers who had any inkling of acting, anybody that was one step up from background that could be on there was just a part of the launch.
1: And it's so crazy too because years later I then go into CKLN doing my own radio show and it's crazy how you guys captured that vibe right like so true to true to what it was man. it was
0: capturing the, the uh, ckln vibe as well as the ciut vibe right, right as well as the the 105 vibe vibe like the main way that we would reach out to our audiences was off of college radio we're very big on college radio That's here right. in canada and college radio used to set the pop radio marketplace so whatever was happening in pop you'd have to go to college radio first so Our structure here was very big on college radio. I mean, we had nothing else, though, right? Nothing, nothing, nothing. So all the popular grassroots show was on college radio. So it was very easy. It was an easy casting uh, when we had to just think of where we were from in order to get into character. Because I had never done a lead before at all. So I had, uh, yeah, I had my acting, Louis Bowmander, just stood with me on set. I was like, Louis, don't leave. (laughs) And help me through Because you have to learn because uh, acting is like there's a whole bunch of other people and you're listening to other. There's a team and where hip hop and writing and music is so selfish where you're kind of to yourself. So it was learning to trust everyone else and trust everything around you as well as learn all your lines and become my first lead. So I didn't want my acting coach to leave me at all.
1: All right. Well, listen, I don't want I don't want this to be a retrospective because, yo, you still you still actively making music, right? Like- yes, I am. And I have a new
0: record coming out. Oh, oh, right? Thanks to Toronto Arts Council, Ontario Arts right, Council right. and Factor, 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 Factor. Thank you for helping me dream again as a mature individual and doing grown up rap. Um, it's very hard to take the risk and even try to apply for a grant as well as make a living here off of it. So I just really appreciate our system here in terms of being able to kind of help us, give us that little nudge. So yeah, I do have a new record coming out. Um, there's no such thing as release dates. Everybody just drops stuff. So in it's the middle be, of the night, yeah, four in right. the morning. That's how it's done So it's now. coming real soon. Huh? It's done. It's done. So it's coming real soon.
1: Uh, any Any features, production that we can like... Well, you know,
0: come on, Sprock's Big Tweets. Some Sprock. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. As, you know what? I'm adding my my big tweez tracks. Big tweez is gonna have a lot to do with my interludes and me speaking to him. So. <laughs> I yes. really thank you for being a part of my uh, record from any, the beginning. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> from the, one of the first two people that I reached out to was Sprox and you, you, so thank you. And us, Snaz, is a productive yep. smoke shop who did a lot of um, Esco you Juno Award winning Esco Levi's records when he first started. So there's still that element of doing the reggae and rap style, but still representing Canada. And I don't know how to be anyone else but myself, so I'm going to just stick to it and uh, do some mature rap, but some mature version of the same thing.
1: Don't ever, don't ever <laughs> change that. Don't thank ever God, change that. Thank you. I mean, yeah. should we get into some music
0: now? Yeah, we think we should. We talked a lot. Is there anything else anybody wants to know? Any, any, does anybody sorry. have
1: any questions? Actually, yeah. matter of factly, you no. Know? Yes.
0: He's Jamaican. No, he was he was just there. He was just present, and his crew was there, and we just knew Heavy was there, and we were just all representing the genre. So he didn't specifically do anything at that time, but we were just proud to hang around him because hey, he's American, and I just knew of his Jamaican roots. But he was Uptown, he was Motown, he was someone that we looked up to in terms of structure. When we seen him still as a Canadian artist, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yo, should we get the band up? You guys could do a couple um, songs, yeah.
0: Yeah, you know what? The band's gonna cover in a minute. I'm gonna go with some old school. Um, we can even skip the intro and just play, just do number two. Yeah, since we're sitting in all in all intimate, I'm gonna take you back first to 1988.
1: Hi, Jen. Oh, oh hi. we're going, we're going back to 88. <laughs> okay, okay.
0: Yeah. And welcome some of the familiar faces. I see, I see, Denisha Prendergrass. I hope I'm not blowing you up. I could pick you up real quick. Uh, can I tell them who you are too at the same time? And Blaine Dottle? Can I? No. All right. <laughs> Yeah. You know what? She she had a question. I'm going to tell them who you are. This is uh, Bob Marley and Rita, Rita Marley's um, granddaughter nice. and a very good friend of mine. And when I was making my transition, she has a question. She wants to know about um, um, dreadlocks in Jamaica. I'm going to let you ask it. And I just wanted to thank you because even in making my transition into my lock hair, I've always wanted to... Um, I've always known about Rastafari and Rastafarian community um, through my family. It was not the faith I fully followed at the beginning. But once you know truth, it's hard to go back. And because you said, speaking of drop the beat and TV shows, yeah. I knew in Canada my hair wouldn't be accepted on TV right away. So I would always sometimes go natural and leave the front out and I would wear wigs and lace fronts. And, and that was also an issue in learning who I was even as an adult um here and transitioning sure. it right. took me longer when I took a break off tv and I and, and I went to manifesto and I met you and the crew and you guys did manifesto jamaica and that truly changed my life where I could be comfortable in my own skin and accept my big forehead and all this <laughs> all this good stuff but yeah I'll, anything else you want to ask right <laughs> Thank you, Denisha, for just having my back. It's been a transition because you just, when the industry changes, you kind of have to change with it. And I was changing the other way and calling myself Bad Gal TV because YouTube has come out and I was going to be, you know, on YouTube channels and no one accepted my hair. I was going to just, before you call me bad, I was going to call me bad. And, you know, here I was going to be dreadlocked and everyone just have to be because I wanted to teach little girls that they could be comfortable in their own skin. And that's yeah. amazing.
1: That's amazing. So,
0: uh, Manifesto, Jamaica, and Canada, that changed my life. And I like when the diaspora here can go back to Jamaica, and there's programs here that help and, and let everyone feel confident in being Canadian. And I got to represent, because you know, when you go to Jamaica, I'm known here as a Jamaican. When I go to Jamaica, I'm so the Canadian. So, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to be. Right, right. And right. Uh, so, yeah, let's take it to some music. We're going to take it back to 1988. Then, I'm yes. going to bring on the band. And we're just going to have a little fun. And I'm going to speak a lot of poetry stuff over beats. So I hope um, you can hear me clearly. Yeah. Do your Blame thing, Do your thing, All right.